Welcome to Mint, the corner of where crypto meets the creator economy. My name is Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. Before we kick off this episode, I wanted to recognize one of the NFT sponsors that's helping make Mint a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3. This episode welcomes Joey DeBruin, founder of Backdrop.so, a platform that contextualizes the DAO landscape. In this episode, we run through the similarities of being a neuroscientist to building products in Web3 for DAOs. Really, really great insights from one of the OG collaborators himself. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Joey, welcome to Mint. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. Thank you for being a part of season five. How does that feel? <laughs> you know, a lot of history. So it's kind of see if I can live up to it. I know. Better than Ellen. That's what I tell everybody. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. There you go. The, the way I like to get these things started is, is with a quick intro. Okay. So for those who don't know you and they don't know what you're working on, who are you, Joey? What does the world need to know about you? But more specifically, how did you get your start into crypto? Yeah. So I'm Joey. Um, I think what the world needs to know about me is that I started out as a neuroscientist. And so I still very much take like a scientific approach to, I think for better or worse, everything that I do. I'm currently the founder of a company called Backdrop. We basically help people launch and participate in tokenized communities. And I got my start in crypto actually as a writer. So I was writing a newsletter and um, I wrote actually originally about Seed Club and kind of like oh, why cool. I, the article was like why I think the crypto for YC will be bigger than the original. And yeah, Jess, like founder of Seed Club reached out and was like, you know, no more writing, like start doing, um, which was awesome. And and that's kind of like pulled me in. I started work for some DAOs. I, you know, experienced the pain points there. And then, you know, I, I've been like a product builder for a long time and just needed to you know, build something like I just had this yeah. urge and that's how we started building backdrop. So neuroscientist, that's not something you hear every day. I usually hear like ex RuneScape player. That tends to be like a lot of the, the silver lining, but how'd you go from uh, studying neuroscience to then transitioning into product building and crypto? I feel like it's like two completely different worlds. There was a couple steps in between. Okay. Um, so I left science um because i was just frustrated with the way that like the system of science works mm -hmm. and um i you know started working I, I moved out to silicon valley and and kind of like worked at a few companies there and yeah so i i think generally speaking i've always been really excited and interested in kind of like public goods and how do we make it easier for people to you know, follow their passions, which is exactly what being a scientist is all about. And that's kind of what has brought me back, you know, I think to crypto now, it feels like a coming home for me in some ways. I think a lot of like the ethos of the space is very much rooted in academia. 
And yeah, I still have some long-term you know, aspirations for what we can do with academia and crypto. So did you, fin- you finish your studies studying uh, neuroscience and you also yep. practice as well? I was in the lab, yeah, doing a lot yeah. of like, you know, slicing of, of my <laughs> brains and staining like very non-sexy, moving clear liquids into other clear liquids was kind of like the day right. today. So I did that for a while. Um, but yeah. What would you say the similarities are between, I guess, being in the lab to building products? I feel like there's a lot of underlying similarities. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in general, like what feels very similar to me is that a lot of people think that like science is this you know, just like wandering down the the various paths, like undirected, just learning curiosity. It's 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 actually the reverse. So people, you know, scientists have a belief, and then they basically try to disprove that belief via experiments. Um, and so it doesn't actually work in the other direction. You can't just mm. like have random experiments and figure out like you know what you believe. Um, same thing with building a product. So I think you have a belief, you have a vision uh, for the future, and then you just run as many experiments as you can and iterate until you get there. Um, so that process I think is very similar, which is why I think a lot of scientists are attracted to kind of entrepreneurial work in general. So when you kind of jumped into Silicon Valley then, I guess, presumably working at startups or bigger companies yeah, or- I worked for like a garage startup basically. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, my first, uh, that was, you know, 10 years ago. Doing product? Actually doing growth. So my basically I was called, I called my friend and I was like, you know, I'm pretty frustrated in the lab. Like, I feel like this bureaucracy, I had some pretty bad experience. I was like, I had these really bureaucratic experience. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. This mm-hmm. is like, you know, entrepreneurialism at like at its worst. And he was like, hey, there's this thing called growth. Like, it's basically, you can still be a scientist. You just run experiments, but you know, there's no bureaucracy and you can move at the speed of your ideas. Like rather than an experiment costing millions of dollars and taking, you know, two years, it you know, costs like $10 and, and takes, you know, 20 minutes. And I was, it was just the right pitch at the right time for me. I was like, yes, like that is what I need. Um, and so I had no idea what growth was or what product was or any of that. And I just like knew that it had experiments in it. And I was like, cool, I'm good at experiments. Like, I'm sure I'll be fine. Yeah. I feel like there still lacks a lot of solid products in crypto. I'm still tainted by the DeFi days where it would be like the curves interface and it'd be like old windows <laughs> and then all the, all the interesting steps that you'd have to climb through just to submit a transaction all the signatures and all these experiences that are still pretty pretty bad today but early adopters have kind of swallowed the pain uh yeah, for for okay. the upside so okay jumping into crypto wrote about seed club got jess's attention who's also i think he was a part of season two of the podcast yeah. uh big fan of what they're doing at seed club i also hold the seed tokens um and i'm part of m club as well nice. uh, the, the mirror club are you part of that yeah i'd assume you are as well yeah so i'm a big believer in in jess i'm a big believer in seed club uh but i guess like to your point, why you had the initiative to initially write about tokenized communities? What is it about, like the the foundation of a token based community? Like why why the natural alignment towards it? For me, um, I think I'm most attracted to the ability for people, creative people, to follow like what their interests are, and I think in the modern world, the scarce ingredient to that is basically helping people go from zero to one. So I think if you've been like a a builder of any kind or a creator of any kind, you just, you know how excruciatingly difficult it is to get something off of the ground. 
And I think the magic of crypto for me is basically like, you know, lowering or the cost to that like first meaningful piece of traction because there is like a community, the community is aligned with you from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always like, I thought about that as like a newsletter writer or something. It's like those first 10 subscribers that are with you, like they are as much like on your team and they're as much like your investors as they are consumers. And I think like that was what initially drew me um, to the space. And I think still what is actually most exciting uh, to me is, is how do we just help more people launch interesting things, follow their passions and, and like kind of like leverage community ownership to do that. So I guess you're also, from what you told me, like an active participant in DAOs. Um, You mentioned that there's quite a bit of challenges with DAOs today. Um, I'd love for you to kind of like take a, take a swing at breaking them down. Like what are the biggest challenges? Because DAOs are very much romanticized in my, in my point of view. I say this a lot on the podcast, like more people want to start a DAO than actually necessarily participate in vote and help grow uh, collectively a DAO with a group of people. Um, What from your point of view are some of the biggest challenges in starting a DAO today? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges is that DAOs are, you know, like at least in our current conception of them, they are big and complex, like multi-layered beasts. So if you want to really build like a self-organizing community, um, that takes a lot of effort and especially like so many DAOs have 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 grown so quickly that the work of really like building that process, it just takes a lot of time and there's a lot of chaos involved. And if you think about like the different layers of the community onion, you know, there's like a core team of whatever five or 10 people that are typically like really steering the ship and, and making sure that things are moving forward. And then there's you know, a much wider group of, you know, supporters and, and contributors. And then there's even wider groups of people that are interested. And all of those people are kind of like thrown into the same soup, I think, um, in in a lot of places. And and to me, that's that's partially just the the nature of, of the game. And it takes time for for those processes to be built. But I think it's also because the perceived cost of creating, you know, communities is really high. And so the, and, the, and the actual cost, I think, as well, which means that, you know, you kind of need to have these like big, you know, hefty organizations that then take on a lot of, of overhead, where I actually think that like, over time, we'll see much smaller, you know, more granular, kind of more focused communities be like more of the dominant model. So that's one of the problems I see right now is, is just like, there's very few DAOs that have traction and the ones that do have just a huge number of people that are interested in them. And they're just kind of drowning um, in that a little bit. So one thing you mentioned that you're excited about is the education side of crypto. Um, I think with better education comes better knowledge and better participation, better contribution. From your point of view, as someone who went through academia so intensely um, and seeing probably what good education looks like, what are some of those missing components that you think crypto is lacking that could, I guess, better the entire ecosystem as a whole, either from a DAO point of view, from an adoption point of view, from a user experience point of view, everything? Like, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I, there's a lot of answers to that. I would tell you the one thing that I'm thinking a lot about now is there, 
I think there is like a fundamental mismatch between the people that are excited to create something or to launch an experiment or to launch a community and the people that actually have like the tools and network to do that. So if you think about this as like a marketplace for ideas, um, there is like, I think a large, like there's like a market failure in that there's actually tons of people, like everyone's like, oh, the crypto space is small and, and yeah, it is small, but there are definitely millions of people that, you know, are really excited and passionate and want to create something, want to like see what it's like to, to build something of, of their own. But the number of people that can actually build something that, that have the resources and network and knowledge to do that is super small. And so if you were to go out on the street and you were to ask someone like, hey, do you have an idea for maybe not the street, maybe like the crypto street? Um, <laughs> do you have an idea for, you know, something that, that you'd like to see in the world, like some experiment that you think would be cool? I think generally you'll find the answer to that is yes. Um, but then if you ask like, OK, how would you get that done? Um, by and large, you'll find people saying like, I don't really know. And I think to me, that's like the biggest missing educational and kind of like UX piece, right? Like it, I think these tools that crypto is building are generally speaking, they should be to make things more seamless, more frictionless, more permissionless, um, and more like lighter, like more fun. So, and I think you, the, the experience of using them right now is the opposite. Um, so that's both like an education and yeah. like an implementation, um, you know, aspect that we, I think we need to work on. Yeah. I think with starting any community, you first have to find the why, like the purpose as to why the community should exist. And yeah. the why ultimately finds those initial few contributors end up joining the community and then to which a token may be issued where incentives are aligned and then you grow harmoniously, hopefully there on after. But finding the why, right? Finding that underlying purpose is quite difficult. There's only so many groups that have found the why that maybe have otherwise did like treasury diversification rounds, issued tokens, brought outside investors, et cetera. And I think this may be like more of like a human question. Like, how do you find your purpose? How do you find your why? But from an organizational point of view, how do you actually find your why? Like why? How do you find that question? Okay. And I'm trying to phrase this correctly. How do you find that, that reason why you should exist? And then from there on out, find the first few people that align with that purpose. Like, what's the process of doing that? Yeah. I think what you're describing is something that we and someone like sometimes internally talk about as like the minimum viable community. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean that as like not as sometimes people think about a minimum viable community in like the kind of like thousand true fan sense, which is like, hey, like you have something that you're building and, and you need like as core group of people to help support it and then kind of just be your, your diehards. But I, I think about it a little bit differently in the sense that the most important thing that you need in the beginning is people to like battle test and refine your vision for what it is that you want to do. So I think there is like in general, a there's too much of this feeling that you need to, when you start something like know exactly what the 10 year vision is or what like the, you know, world changing impact is. I think there's this, that's like a myth also that comes from people post-rationalizing, you know, whatever Jeff Bezos and being like, oh yeah, he could have, he foresaw, you know, Blue Origin from the first day that they launched a book marketplace. It's like, that's frankly, that's bullshit. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, like the way that we experience, I think communities and projects is typically at the first moment is, is when they like, 
launch and put a stake in the ground and say like, this is who we are, this is what we're doing. And um, I think actually the most important moments are actually before that. So it's that group of, and, and the way this happens in the kind of the quote unquote real world now is like you have the people who are lucky, like they have some core network of people that they can bounce ideas off of and they can get feedback on and they can iterate and learn. And then they get to the point where they're like, okay, this is it, you know, like, let's go out and do this. Um, and, and I think there's just a huge number of people that, that don't have that kind of a community. And so I, I think that's like the, the minimum viable community to actually building something purposeful um, is that kind of like initial core group. Yeah. I, that's something that we talk a lot about on the podcast, like the MVC, like how do you build that minimum viable community? And everybody has a different answer. And the only reason I keep asking about community related things, is because backdrop, the core, like the core reason why it exists is to support these tokenized communities, which I'll let you talk about in a minute. But one thing that stood out to me about backdrop, it feels, and I'm looking at it on my screen over here, like it feels like the aggregation layer to, to, to DAOs and everything that a DAO kind of needs it's there at the top from governance to participation to who's who's doing what, who bought what. And it feels very much like this, this really fun and friendly feed uh, that allows you to keep up to, with the day-to-day -day of your community, right? Um, so I guess like transitioning into backdrop, like did I, did I tackle that correctly? What am I missing here? Yeah, you did. Um, that's totally kind of what we've been building. I think like you caught us at a good time because, you know, we we were kind of three months after our launch. And I think we've been able to like, we've you know been lucky to have like a lot of success and momentum and, and think about, you know, what is like the next major push for, for us. And I think where we started is exactly what you mentioned. So we, we believe that, you know, the, the world is networked, um, especially like now more than ever. And I think that when we think about web three and DAOs and all these kind of communities, there's often like sometimes a, it's easy to be like, okay, these are new organizations that like, oh, you know, they kind of like, there are these walled gardens for people to live in and do stuff in. But I think in general, like they are more like, you know, we think about communities as overlapping clouds. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if you and I are part of two, two of the same communities and also two different communities, like what is the experience that, that we want? And I think it's much more like people centric than it is, you know, just a, a community centric. So that's what we wanted to think about building. And so what we do is we we basically aggregate key information from all the different communities and projects that we can find and we put it into like a people-centric network so that the experience for for you Adam is like you know to be able to have one place where you can go to discover and keep up to keep up to date with communities that you care about um, and just make it easier for you know, to participate and um, you know to be, to belong. Um, I think like, as we are, you know, going forward, we actually want to take it one step further, which is to, like I said, like help more people create, you know, new communities, new projects. So we want to actually extend the value that we've built um, to stuff that's even earlier and kind of even newer. So that, that's mm -hmm. kind of like the next major milestone for us is that we think about our long-term vision of like making it easy for everyone to participate in Web3. Part of that is making it easier to connect with your existing communities. And then I think the next major frontier for us is like helping you actually go out and, and launch something brand new. So let's talk about those last two points. So connecting with your communities and helping you launch something brand new. So what's missing today that would like, I guess, better connect one another, like individual people within a community together? Like what, what do you think is missing? Like what are some of the core problems? Because right now communities live on Discord. Like being able yeah. to manage a community through Discord is 
very daunting, very overwhelming. Uh, and quite frankly, I hate it. Like I, I love my family on the Mint Discord. I love you guys to death. But it's very hard to actually build a community, let alone empower other people in the community to do something and to kind of co-contribute to something. All you do have is a bunch of servers, right? And again, this is not to shit on Discord, more, more so to realize that there's a set of users that have different needs and wants that a new product may be better suited for them kind of thing. Are you thinking yeah. about it the same way, obviously, I, I'd assume? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing, like, just to say it, I mean, a lot of people have kind of, I think, position backdrop as a as like an alternative or competitor to Discord. We actually don't internally see it that way um, because I think communities always need like a place to just like hang out. Like you need a place that it's like the coffee shop or something. Like you can always go there and you can hang out and there's going to be people there. Um, but I think what makes communities like really powerful is their ability to bring people together around like discrete information and moments. And so that's the kind of stuff that, and, and, you know, discord or conversational tools, like they're just not built for that. And I think they're not optimized for that. So they're, they're optimized to be the coffee shop that where there's always going to be chatter. There's always going to be this sense of vibrancy. Um, whereas what we want to think about optimizing for is, you know, how do you bring people together to create something magical? And so that's, you know, what we, the kind of information that we look at is, is different. So we think about, you know, events and governance and announcements and all these kinds of key moments for a community. And how do we make sure that their people are able to come together over, over those. And I think that's, you know, so again, I, I would expect that communities always have a, a like a multiple of, of different tools. And, and I think we just want to be one of them that's really focus on information as opposed to conversation. Yeah. A core component of these tokenized communities is the concept of ownership, um, which I think ownership is very much still a gray area in Web3, depending on what you tied into. For example, a lot of season four of Mint was uh, about music NFTs uh, and music industry in general and the concept of what you actually own when you purchase a music NFT, whether it's rights, royalties, uh, whether it's just purely the collectible itself that's in your wallet is very much a gray area. Does some of that still exist with like ERC-20 based communities, for example? Because I'm looking on, on the site here because I see like doodles. I see all sorts of communities. But a lot of the ones that I aligned with that I initially joined in the beginning prior to NFT communities popping up are like ERC-20 based communities, right? Is that yeah. concept of ownership still a gray area as to, in terms of what you own and the level of ownership that you have in these in these communities? I mean, I'm not sure if this is going to answer your question. Okay. But I think one of the things that's most challenging and frankly, most exciting about building backdrop is that we want to like build at the absolute frontier of the data that is currently available. And we want to build products that are delightful and easy and fun at that frontier. And the reason for that is because we view our like role in the ecosystem as helping push that frontier forward. Um, but the, the, the challenge is that right now, the kind of information that we can get, that we can get you know, on chain or in open places is almost, I mean, the, it's predominantly ownership, right? And, and so the, lots of people have talked about this, but if you wanna build like a, a social product or a product, like we think a lot about like engineering serendipity. So we wanna find like areas in which people are, are you know, share interests or share 
uh, excitement or, or, you know, share community. Right. And we want to actually, you know, spark new things there. Mm -hmm. So in, in those serendipitous moments, but when you just look at ownership, it's a very like blunt instrument in, right. in order to do that. Right. So there's no difference between people that earn tokens versus buy them. There's no difference between someone who, you know, like is so obsessed with this one community token that they just versus like someone who maybe bought it and doesn't like it anymore, but doesn't want to sell it because they think it's probably going to go back up and then they'll sell it. Right. So like right. we don't have any of that kind of information right now. And it, you know, it's just a challenge. So we're, we're always looking to like add utility and add joy and, and, and add delight around the data that we can have and also work with the ecosystem and work with people to think about like, what's the next step? Like what is the kind of information that we need that will allow us to build like one step further? So basically we just really believe in the value of like an open interoperable web three ecosystem. I think like all of us, but, and so we, we have to kind of like work with what we've got in order to take like one step forward. I think that's what yeah. makes building products in this area, like just super challenging and, but really fun. So working with all that data, it's real time data for, for the most part. Have you discovered like any interesting insights by analyzing and working alongside so much data and so much different diverse data? Ah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if we have like, you know, just game changing insights right now. I think we, there's a couple of things that, that we know, which are, which may be obvious, like, we, we do know that people, like we look at a lot of how people want to like reflect them, represent themselves. And um, I, I think what we find is, is that generally speaking, people want to like layer their contribution to multiple communities in order to like present themselves, right? So if you look at someone's profile and like, you know, for example, like simple data that we get is like allowing you, we have all this information in your wallet and it's kind of like, okay, what things do you want to highlight? What things do you want to hide? You know, what projects do you want to pin? What projects do you want to remove? Yeah. Um, so we, we give people that control. And I think through that, you really can learn like, okay, I think for, you know, it's between three to five probably projects that people tend to be like, okay, this is a decent representation of, of me um, right now. And, and that changes depending on like, whether someone is like a casual contributor to these communities or whether it's the founder, the founder would be much more likely to just say like, this is it, this is my project. Mm -hmm. That's all you need to know. Right. Um, so I, I think like we, we have learned a lot about that. Um, again, it's not, it's maybe not shocking. <laughs> you know, these are things that are fairly intuitive, but uh, it, it's good to actually get the, the hard data on it. You know, one thing that I'm seeing uh, in the creator economy as I guess more traditional creators try to form these tokenized communities or DAOs, there's a spectrum to DAOfication. There's completely decentralized, which I'd argue not everybody is just yet, to just a token-based community where the creator is at the center. I'd argue my community is token-based. I'm the creator creating content for an audience, and I reward them with, with non-transferable NFTs here and there every single season. And there's a spectrum to it. So from your point of view, how do we get more creators, more of these, more of these creative entrepreneurs who want to use these primitives, these DAO primitives, uh, to kind of like move across the scale where from completely centralized to like just a token-based community like myself to decentralization? Like, how do we move from that scale? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I don't think that our view is that like the ideal is for every community to be fully, you know. I don't want to say even decentralized, but like democratic, okay. like that, okay. you know, so I, I actually, I mean, I think one of my, 
I don't know, spicier takes, I guess, is like that I think democracy is the ideal for physical like nations and maybe not the ideal for digital ones, because I think it just democracy is like synonymous with bureaucracy in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like you need a lot of process in order to do that. And I think a lot of communities like don't want necessarily yeah. have all this process. They just want to hang out and like do and like do stuff together. And that's actually yeah. very hard to do. So so anyways, I, I think it's it's like you said, it's a spectrum. And I think it's more about where do people want to exist on that spectrum in terms of like how we get more creators into the space. I, I think right now, like the the dominant way that a creator would think about, like, do I want to do crypto is like, you know, do I want to sell some kind of like speculative asset? And I think that is probably not like a super natural mind space for most creators to be in. And it's also puts a extraordinary burden on the creator to like continue maintaining the value of those things. And so, you, you know, I think we, what we need to do is to, yeah, just like simple, good, good, like product, like UX work, right? It should be like, okay, what are you trying to do? Like, what values are you trying to provide to your community? And then like, how do these technologies and tools actually just help you do that in a way that you couldn't before? So, you know, if you want to, you know, if you have like 1% of your community is like, loves you a ton and, mm -hmm. and you want to, offer them some like unique, you know, benefits or special events or whatever, um, you know, like, yeah, you can do that. And, and you can do that with crypto in a way that's going to be better maybe than like without. And I think that's like, should be the first, just like do stuff that's fun and light and simple. And, uh, and that's like, should be the entry point, not like, you know, okay, launch what a, essentially feels like, you know, some large financial asset. Yeah. That's a lot of my my hesitation personally. I've gotten a lot of questions uh, from the community lately, like, when are you going to do an NFT? When are you going to do a social token? When are you going to take this thing and make it more Web3 native? I'm like, well, we're moving slowly here. We're only issuing more like soulbound-ish uh, tokens yeah. where they're non-transferable and solidify your participation in, in the podcast. And to really try to source my most active contributors and listeners and then try to figure out a strategy down the line, how to tie in all that value uh, together. Yeah. Um, and one thing we we chatted about, because you bring up this this concept of speculation, which could be a point of resistance for a lot of creators, because like, wow, there's going to be a publicly traded asset about me. Yeah, there's ways to make money, but how do I actually maintain and manage this thing? This concept of a soulbound uh, token, which you yeah. and I, we talked about behind the scenes. Do you have any like thoughts on that? Something that Vitalik recently pushed out as like this new primitive that might be viral in a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I think like one of the things that you know, we, we obviously have been thinking a lot about is that, you know, there's a lot of signals that you want to give, you know, to a community that are not financial, that are really, and I think as a product, like building products, that's one thing you'll experience very acutely is like the, wow, if only there was more data in the space that wasn't so inherently financial. It's like, yeah. it basically just blurs like all of the lines that, that you would want to draw. So if you want to say like, hey, like here's a community that you know, some people might really care about, all right, who are those people? And now we look at all the token holders. Well, it's like, well, some of the people really care about that community. Some people just like think it's going to make money. Um, and, and so I think like the, you know, the the value of soulbound tokens and, and these kind of like non-transferable um, primitives is that we can build products and experiences and, um, you know, that are not so inherently financial. And, and like our lives as humans are so much less financial than, our lives as crypto people, right? And that, I don't think that's how it needs to be. Um, and, and the other, but like the other aspect of this that I think about sometimes is I think there is this paradox in a way when you think about things that are really early, right? So a lot of people, 
like I, you know, I was I was talking to Janil at, at Coinvise. Like they, you know, issue they, you know, tokens and NFTs to tons of people. And we were talking about like when is the right time for a creator to launch a token. And I think the general recommendation from people is like not for a while. And the reason for that is because like like you said, you want to have a vision, you want to have a clear purpose, you want to have a community, you want to like set up all these things. And if you launch a token before that, all of this like financial speculation, pressure, whatever kind of like drowns out your ability to, to do all of those things. It just adds a ton of noise. At the same time, like if you have been in this space, you've experienced this like magic moment where like there is something in your wallet that you care about. Like that is a, just a truly magical moment. And so what's the balance between those two things? And I actually think soulbound tokens are the way forward for a lot of people, which is like, let's say I create a community and I say, hey, I'm going to issue like some soulbound tokens to you all because you, you know, you're in my early group and you're helping me out. And, and so th there's no financial benefit to these. Um, this is just symbolic. It's just like you are part of this. And, you know, there is real value to that. And it also allows you to build on-chain data um, that you can or, you know, open data that, that you can then use down the line if you do want to like launch something that has financial value. There's also nothing wrong with financial value, right? Like when you get to the point where you want to launch an NFT and you want to distribute it to people that, you know, were supporting you along the way. Um, great. So I, I feel like there is an opportunity to let because right, the alternative to that, by the way, is to just say like, hey, like we're not going to issue anything. You're all going to help us build. And then don't worry, like at some point we're going to launch the NFT and <laughs> we're going to send it to you all, right? And, and that promise is meaningful, but it's not the same as if someone is like, cool, like, look at this in my yeah, wallet, it's, it's mine, you know? Um, so I, I think there's a real opportunity to now build like those kinds of experiences that, that allow people to delay or defer anything that is like financial, but also still like build that real connection with their community, with their audience. Yeah. What's up guys, Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to recognize a couple of our NFT sponsors who are helping make this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Mint Songs. First up, on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. Next up, we have Mint Songs, who is home to over 1,200 music artists in Web3. Check out the Mint Songs marketplace to support, collect, and connect with artists creating Web3 communities around their music via NFTs. In June 2022, about next month, Mint Songs will be launching their much-anticipated V2 marketplace on Ethereum, which aims to make Web3 even more accessible to music artists. Follow along on Twitter at Mint Songs or check out mintsongs.com to learn more. All right, back to the episode. There's a lot of a lot of questions that I still kind of like have around like soulbound NFTs. Like the purpose of them for those who don't know, from what I understand, it's like they're soul bound, like they're bound to your wallet uh, and they're non-transferable by nature um, to kind of apply to, to all different types of use cases. Like there's like collegiate use cases for like degrees and whatnot. Uh, there's mint season pins so you can prove your participation on the podcast. There's yeah. all sorts of like use cases, but I'm like, I'm always like curious. Okay. Like, can, like, how do you buy? soulbound tokens like what does that entail i guess it's one initial transaction but what does the value like how does value accrue to it from there on out beyond just solidifying participation what happens if you die like what happens to your soulbound tokens if they have value for example 
Um, and yeah. all these like interesting like questions that have yet to to sort of be discussed. I guess on the concept of data, one of the most interesting things for me at the moment um, is kind of learning more about who your collectors are on chain. For me as a podcaster, I know where my audience comes from on web too. I know that a lot of them come from Twitter. A lot of them come from organic search results on Google, et cetera. I know very little as to who they are on chain, um, yeah. which is like an interesting concept. Like we have like Nansen, we have uh, dude analytics that provide very like transactional data, right? What, what's trending, et cetera. What are the recent spikes, wallet, et cetera. But I'm interested to know who are my collectors? Like who are they as addresses, as anonymous people or pseudonymous people on chain. And one thing that I've noticed about uh, Backdrop is it creates more context to the entire uh, ecosystem and allows you to see who these community members are, which is incredibly interesting from what they participated in to what they voted on. And sure, you can find these things manually, but when it's all aggregated and condensed into like one sort of funnel, it makes it more enjoyable, I'd argue. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's so important. Like, and I think the you know, whether you call it like the unbundling of Etherscan or something else, yeah. you could take the same underlying data and you could bring it into like so many different contexts and it depends on what you want to do. So like for us, like what the context that we want is for you to understand someone. So we don't like necessarily, you know, want you to know how much money they have or we don't want you to know like, in our case, like how good of a trader they are. Like, it's more like, do you want to work with them? You know, who might they have already worked with? Like uh, those kinds of like questions. And um, so we, we just take that data and we contextualize it in a very specific way. And I think every time, you know, every time you contextualize something more specifically, like it gets you closer to the actual, like someone's actual intent. And I think right now, like something like an Etherscan or, or whatever, uh, it's it served for every intent. It's just like, here's the underlying data. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity for, and this is such, what's, what's so cool about this open ecosystem is you can take the same data, it can be open to a lot of people, and you can recontextualize it in so many different ways and build so many different products on top of it. Yeah. Speaking of, of tokenized communities, with every, every community, there needs to be great community managers. Um, and some could call that like centralized leadership, depending on how they lead could is incredibly like important for the for the sustainability for management for day-to-day -day operation etc in a in a dao tokenized community whatever you want to call it but you've been a part of many daos you've seen the rise and fall for sure of daos from your experience joey what does a good community manager entail like what what does a good community manager profile look like yeah i think there are so it's such a difficult role it is difficult yeah um and i think like and by the way me, also incredibly high in demand as well because everybody yes. needs a community manager <laughs> yes totally and and i think like one thing is you need to be able to like think in systems because the community is really like a system so if you're like i think the really good community managers understand that what they are doing is like building the spaces for the community to exist, not necessarily like managing the community, like someone in a factory, like manages a factory. Um, so I think good community managers are often like, will have like a design background or like some design, you know, tendencies. Um, and then, you know, the other one is just being able to really like be able like to tolerate a high degree of uncertainty because I think community managers are always like 
working at the edges of you know what is currently working in you know in, in any given space so you know and, and to me i think that also is like in some ways a design skill so it's like can you understand all the different you know flows into and out of your community and can you really empathize with people who are in very different moments than you're currently in so i think like you know it's funny sometimes if you talk to like a founder of a dao you say like what's the experience like for joining your dao um, they're like, oh, you know, you go through this onboarding thing and then you join and then you like, you know, vote on a uh, you know, proposal and then you maybe, you know, submit one yourself. You're like, oh, it sounds really nice. And then if you talk to someone who like, you're like, oh, you just joined that DAO. Yes. Like last week, they're like, what's it like? And you're like, well, it's like being thrown into a cocktail party with like a million people that you don't know. And like everyone's shouting at you. It's like, okay, well, that sounds, you know, different. So I think it's, you know, that's like partially a joke. But I think it's really about being able to like step out and and almost like re-experience things over and over again that makes people like really good at design but also really good at community management um, because your vision for what you are and like where you maybe like were when like when you went when you joined the community mm -hmm. it was like maybe it was small maybe it was like super nice and and maybe now it's like really chaotic and i think you just need to be able to um like remove like step outside yourself in order to do that yeah, I think uh, one of the primitives for tokenized communities in DAO are slowly transitioning to membership passes um, yeah. versus like uh, uh, ERC-20s, for example, which was the typical norm for a lot of these early phase or V1, V1, V0 DAOs um, yep. that kind of came about in the last year and a half. How do you feel about social tokens? Like there's there's conversations online. I'm still incredibly bullish on their specific purpose. I think the last year and a half kind of showed us where they fit in better in terms of the entire life cycle of an on-chain community. But what are your thoughts? Like, are we still bullish on social tokens um, as being like the, the introductory asset to form a community? Um, should they come later down the line? Do you think they'll still be a thing where creators are tokenizing themselves? All sorts of speculations. Yeah. I mean, you know, I... I think in general, I'm still bullish on on social tokens and kind of like fungible tokens in in general for for a lot of things. Um, I do think that I mean there, there's a few things that I think we're seeing that makes sense to me. One is that communities like if they if all you have is a social token, then you basically are incentivized to growth like forever. Right. So I mean, if that is the way that you essentially sustain yourselves then, you know, it, it puts this huge pressure on the community to keep growing in a way that I think a lot of communities don't need to. So, you know, I, I think pairing, you know, those kinds of like scarce, whatever assets um, that maybe more like are symbolic for ownership and um, governance or these kinds of things with, you know, like season passes via an NFT that you can actually use to build like essentially revenue, like yeah. communities. And, and I think like these, these are not brand new concepts to communities or to clubs or whatever. Like if you join, I don't know, like a country club or you join a social club, like it's you actually monthly. Yeah. yeah. You or pay yearly. monthly, but, yeah. but you might also like, so I think like the, you know, the, a, a, like a, a timeshare or a country club is like an interesting model where it's like you maybe, it maybe costs you $10,000 to join and then you have to pay monthly dues. But then if you, if you leave like two years later, and now the you know the the price of joining is twenty thousand dollars. You you get to like you change your ten thousand to twenty. So you're both like yeah you have to pay for the upkeep of that community 
every week, every month or whatever, but you're still also like incentivized to make it better and to make it more attractive and to help it grow. So it's not one or the other. I think it's like, it is the balance of those two things that feels sustainable um, to me long-term. So you don't want, I think it, if it was just like every season is a new NFT and that's it, like, you know, there's no, there's no permanence. There's no like, you know, per, like long-term perpetual ownership. That's also not as interesting. It's then it's just like, it's just subscription. Um, so I, I think to me, it's like actually pairing those two things that's most powerful. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see how social tokens kind of evolve um, in in 2022 especially with the new concept of soulbound uh soulbound tokens and what that really means um i think the best of course always widely used is board ape yacht club and how they've cat like strategically introduced every single collectible which could be considered as a membership pass in many cases um for this grandiose vision of building some type of like gaming or metaverse and all the little like uh, uh cookie crumbs that kind of came with that so first you buy the, the avatar that's going to be in the metaverse and then your avatar is going to mutate and you can have the opportunity to buy that and you're gonna have a little pet like a dog and then from there you got to live somewhere so you got to buy some land and if you buy that land you might get another friend this i forgot what it's called and this entire narrative is like unfolding and with that they're generating revenue but they also have this dow formation that's kind of carried out through the governance token right yeah. um so that's one model uh another model that i'm really like i i really love is daniel allen's model um where he crowdfund i think crowdfunded 150k 180k in like 48 hours we did a whole entire episode or series on that but basically how you get your entrance into his club via the social token and then you kind of earn by the consistent revenue that gets uh, accumulated by the sales of his music NFTs. So he does like a 50% rev share and half of that goes back into the treasury. And with that, the members get special perks and interesting access, et cetera. So yeah. yeah. What, are, what are some of your favorite models that you've kind of seen prevail being a part of so many groups online, let alone hosting and, and being a home to many groups now on, on Backdrop? Yeah, um, some of my favorite models. I mean, I, I've been thinking a lot about like, um, media organizations and like what is the the nature of like a more decentralized media organization going forward and I think we're you know lucky to work with and just like have close connections to you know organizations like Global Coin Research or Water and Music or um, Dirt DAO or at least kind of like um, you know different models for for building really valuable content communities and I think what is interesting to me is that it's not about decentralization or centralization. It's about thinking about like the process of building a really great brand and which elements of that need to be decentralized and which elements don't. And so it's it's a much more systems level. Like, so if you talk to um, Sherry from Water and Music, like, you know, actually editorial she you know her view is that it should be highly centralized forever and i actually tend to agree with that so if you think about the consumer experience of a media company you want to know like what are you going to get like what's it going to feel like what's the vibe what's the voice yeah um but there are elements of that like if it's a research organization for example of like finding the coolest stuff to to be talking about or finding all of the data or you know even like soliciting contributions from different you know kinds of people having a more flexible or fluid model of contribution like all those things can be highly decentralized so i think when when i think about like you know what is the dao that's going to uh, you know 
be the, the next New York Times, like, and it's going to be the biggest media or like, what's the doubt it's going to be the biggest media organization in the world. It's certainly not like a just democracy of people voting on what they think is the coolest article. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, it is much more sophisticated, much more nuanced than that. And that's what I get really excited about is that I think it's this like systems level thinking where you can, you know, put together these different building blocks from like the old world and, and kind of like more decentralized approaches and, and recreate them into something that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed on, on backdrop, um, there's a big problem in the space where it's hard to get in touch um, and get context on your collectors in terms of their activity. Yeah. Um, and I think it is a big challenge for everybody because part of like Web2 is having a CRM and being able to message people and being able to have cookies and see where everyone, what everyone's doing, where they are, et cetera. I think it's a really interesting insight and feature that makes Backdrop so powerful on, uh, on the concept of contextualizing a lot of things in the ecosystem. So I guess my question to you is, what is the best way to get in touch with anonymous collectors? Yeah, there is no great way right now. I think that, um, you know, we we do kind of like enable that in the sense that, you know, people give us ways to contact them on Backdrop. Mm -hmm. So whether it's their email or whether they just want to use kind of like Backdrop via Wallet Connect. Um, but then, you know, there is this like benefit that accrues over time where like if a new, if they were to, so like acquire like an nft from a given community right they will just automatically start getting updates on backdrop or to their email or whatever so they only need to like connect that thing one time on, on backdrop and then like but that that's not the only way that this will be done i think there's a bunch of protocols that are being built you know to do kind of like you know messaging you know that is wallet connector to wallet aware and and so i i think there will be a variety of different ways that people connect with like their um, collectors eventually. I, the only other thing that I'll say is like, I think we, we're, we're excited right now. Like when you think about understanding who, you know, your, your collectors or your community is the way that works on backdrop is like, you can see everyone that is holding the token. You can go to their profile. You can check out who they are. Like you can see, you know, their Twitter connections and their whatever, like, so they build their profile. And I think that's really cool. I think like there is a level in between what we have now and like Dune, you know, so Dune is like, okay, it is like very just like data oriented analytics. If you want to see, you know, who do, who holds whatever seed club tokens and also um, these other tokens, like what are all of those wallets? I think, you know, we're, we're really thinking as like some of the new features that we're building of ways for people to kind of hit that middle ground. So you might you know, launch a poll that says like, hey, like, you know, not like a, you know, full on governance, uh, you know, vote, but like, Hey, we're thinking about building X, Y, or Z, like, which would you guys think is cooler? And, you know, people vote on that. And then you're able to like, look at some analytics, like, okay, like, you know, what are the, the, the kinds of, you know, data from people that voted yes versus voted no. And I think there's just like very interesting, again, like middle grounds between what we have right now, which is like individual people focused. And mm -hmm. then what like a dude would have, which is like full, just like aggregate data focused. I think that that middle ground is, is where like community, um, can be really powerful. Let's take it to the next level because a lot of this data is just out there. It's one thing to have the data and to find the data. It's another thing to know what to do with the data. Yeah. Uh, something that I'm incredibly excited about is like when AI and machine learning kind of kicks into the picture and starts giving you actionable insight as to what you can do with that data. Okay, so I know that this community holds a board ape and this token. Okay, so what? Like, what do I do with that? Or I know X, Y, and Z, they voted on wanting to do this. Okay, so like what's next kind of thing. Yeah. That's like that's like the missing piece that I, I think we have yet to tap into. And, and funny enough, 
we we talk on this conversation on data. Um, I've been working with various creators. Uh, one of the one of the I guess use cases um, that I kind of worked with is with this independent artist. Her name is Queen George. We did a concert at ETH Denver and sold tickets as NFTs. And we kind of realized like, okay, she's already royally screwed by Spotify because she doesn't have access to her streaming data necessarily, let alone all the people that watch her TikTok videos or Instagram uh, stories, etc. But she has all these collectors now and that are OG Ethereum collectors. Not only that, they came to watch her perform in person. So she met a lot of her collectors, right? But what can she do with that information then? So now she has 100 plus new collectors that bought that got something from her for free, enjoyed an experience. How can she tap into like aggregated wallet data and understand who these people are online and use that data to kind of like pursue new opportunities in the future? She might realize yeah. that a certain amount of them have like 0.01 ETH. So or a 0.5 ETH in their wallet. So maybe she should do a drop for like 0.05 ETH kind of thing. You know, uh, she might realize that a lot of them are in forefront. They spend their time voting in M club. They do have all these interesting insights. This is what you should do kind of next leading up to that. So this whole concept of like data analysis and, and data analytics and what you do with that data is really, really fascinating to me and something that we've been talking a lot about uh, on the podcast as well. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like two two elements of that that I would say. One is that I think, you know, anyone who's worked with like ML or AI or whatever knows that like labeling is the is the scarce, you know, resource in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very much true of where we are right now in Web3, which is like the data you can get purely from people's wallet activities, frankly, not that interesting um, from if you want to build anything that's like a richer experience or like like a human centric experience. So, you know, we need ways for people to tell us, like, why, you know, did you get this token? Why did you go to that event? Like, who, what do you care about right now? And I think, you know, that's, you know, so I think it'll be backdrop. It'll be a number of other products that are enriching or contextualizing information with the help of people. So like people actually using the product to help contextualize. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is like, you know, that specific use case of, you know, could be that you, you know, had a, a concert that you, um, use a token to like, you know, for, for a ticket. And then you want to figure out like, oh, what should I do with all these people? Like, I think also that is how we think about emergent community in a lot of ways. So, you know, maybe the thing that you should do is you should say, hey, I, you know, I had three concerts over like the last year and, uh, you know, all those have NFTs and there's ways that you can just plug that together, you know, into creating like just a little community full of those people and, and give them, you know, new like additional utility, you know, give them new things on top of that. And I think, like that's where, again, I think people's conception of like creating tokenized communities is way too heavy. So people think about, oh, okay, like, am I ready to launch a DAO, you know, capital D, capital A, capital O. <laughs> and I think like in that, in that case, like, yeah, you kind of already like maybe have one. I mean, yeah. maybe like a low, if we're talking about the, the de democratic to non-democratic spectrum, it's like pretty far away from the democratic part. Like people are not voting on what you should do next, but you have a tokenized community, you have a connection to them. Um, and what do you want to do with it? And I think like, that's how we definitely want to build the product more is like really enabling these light emergent, um, groups to form. Yeah. I think, uh, that's a, that's a solid point. Um, and I, I want to ask you a couple more questions before we kind of wrap it up. Um, so the way you kind of explaining your, your, your thoughts and your analysis and how you critically think about things, it's really interesting to see it from the origin of a, a neuroscientist, I guess. Uh, because your concept of research is much different than my concept of research and analysis, I'd argue. 
Uh, so I've learned a lot from this conversation. One thing I want to ask you though, because I know you're you're a pop-up chef, or at least you were at, at wow. some point. Yeah. Um, what's up with that? Are you still in the kitchen? Like what, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. I, I mean, like I'm still in the kitchen all the time for Fair. sure. I don't, I, I had like, you know, this pop-up restaurant that I ran in, in San Francisco and then very briefly in, in Berlin as well. Um, I don't do that anymore. I think like what I learned is that I don't want to be a professional chef. What I like <laughs> is, I mean, for so many, like, as you maybe can see by the kind of products that I want to build, like, I just like bringing people together and, you know, over some shared experience. And for me, like a meal is one of the very best ways sure. to do that. Um, so, you know, this point in my kind of cooking career, mostly what I do is just have 20 people over um, to the house and, and cook a big, you know, dinner. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely interested in, you know, having some hosting some some pop up dinners for, you know, crypto or Web3 people. So um, if anyone wants to do that, let me know. Let's do it. I'm down. We'll talk about it afterwards. What's your what's your favorite thing to cook? Is so, it baking or cooking? No, definitely cooking. Okay. I'm far too chaotic to bake. <laughs> I think like, you know, this, like I'm like a mad scientist, right? So it's it's about constant iterations during the actual cooking process. Um, I think my, my favorite stuff to cook is, I mean, the pop-up that I had was called Latitude 15 because I, I don't like cook any one cuisine or I don't cook any one cuisine particularly well. And all the food that I like happens to be sort of, you know, I guess for whatever reason, it's like on the same latitude of the earth. So it's like Mexico, Southeast Asia, India, basically all of the places where people cook like bold, spicy, you know, highly acidic, just like slap you in the face food, not like the refined sauce that, you know, takes mm. 10 hours. And so that's kind of what I like to, to cook. I tend to just like, you know, merge those stuff together and do a lot of like fusion, you know, like the rice bowl with, uh whatever mexican you know stuff in it or tacos with you know so that that kind of food is is generally what i've always cooked sorry i only eat uh 10 hour liquids that's, that's yeah a, then that's i think we're gonna have we're gonna be yeah maybe it's gonna be tough for us <laughs> oh thank you for being on uh hope to have you in again soon before i let you go where can we find you where can we find backdrop chill it away yeah for sure um backdrop is at backdrop.so uh, and you can find me probably easiest place is as on Twitter. I'm, I'm Joey underscore to Bruin, or I write a newsletter called flying penguins. Uh, nice. which is fun. So it's flying what, what is that about? It's basically like insights and experiments into the future of like public goods. Um, so a lot of science, cool. academic web three stuff. Cool. Thank you, Joey. Till next time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on making it this far into the episode. You are a champ. And because of that, I want to say thank you by giving you a free participation NFT. You can claim yours today by visiting adamlevy.io forward slash NFT. Follow the steps on your screen. You'll be good to go. Also, depending on which platform you're listening on, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, share, favorite, etc. It really helps grow the platform and our reach online. And last but not least, I want to give some love and recognize one of our NFT sponsors who's helping make this episode a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users, 
3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3.